0: Hello, and you're welcome to the Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. This week, we're talking startups with one of the senior product managers of an organization who knows a lot more about taking a startup through a growth phase than pretty much anyone else. And talking to Clark Dever, who's senior product manager at Techstars. Clark, you're welcome to the podcast.
1: Adrian, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, excited to have a chance to speak with your audience.
0: And you're in Buffalo, and I can hear that sort of nearly Midwestern, nearly uh, Canadian tilt going on nearly
1: there. canadian <laughs> it's only it's only an imaginary line on the map that keeps uh keeps us from having a full canadian accent <laughs> yeah but one the two things well, three things
0: that people over here know about buffalo one obscene snowfalls at least once a year they're always the pictures you see two buffalo bills which is kind of you know american folk and then niagara
1: falls right niagara falls Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, all, all three things are accurate. It's funny. We get a really bad rap about the weather, but other than that one storm a year, it's uh, it's really nice. There's three solid seasons of spring, summer, and fall. Um, Mm. and then, you know, a hard winter, but the bills, the bills are the bills. You know, if you know anything about American football, we've been on a long campaign of not winning. <laughs> well, a, but this year I'm, they had a they made a run of it.
0: Yeah, well, I'm a Bears fan, so you know, this you don't really have to talk to me about pain. Uh, I'm a Liverpool fan as well, by the way, so double your pain there. Um, let's talk about startups. Um, yeah. So what you really do is TechStars is a very interesting organization in the way that it takes uh, you know young companies, young startups through seed stage, accelerator stage. It gives them a lot of uh advice. I'm gonna to come to that now in a couple of minutes, but can I just ask about your impression? You're in Buffalo, as as we said right now, but your impression of the startup scene over here. So I'm gonna ask you about Dublin in Ireland.
1: How does that go across? Are we on the map? Yeah, I think I think you are. Um, you know, I'm, i can name a couple founders. Uh Connor Connor Murphy, I think he's actually on oh, a yeah. Bray now, but mm-hmm. had had an exit. He's working. Actually, we use Connor's product Bridge uh, directly like in our ecosystem development program uh, for connecting people. And I, I think that's great. Uh, one of the things that I, when I look at uh, the Irish startup community, maybe Dublin, is I feel like it hasn't found its lane as mm-hmm. much as some of the other cities. You know, if I say Boston, people think robotics or AI. If I think uh, the Valley, it's all these social high growth, like all that matters is user account, you can figure out you know how you monetize later you know i don't know that um as an outsider that messaging for what is dublin's lane you know and and where the best startups is there
0: yeah right i mean there are some who might contend that there's a nascent early fintech stage there the fact that stripe are going to build a huge office now in dublin with kind of medium to high end uh, roles there and some design roles, they're promising a thousand jobs here as well. That might accelerate that whole space. But other than that, yeah, over the last 15 years, be known as a support center, an engineering support center as much as anything else. But I'm curious, like, and we will get to tech stars and, and the, the actual business of startups um, shortly,
1: but does Ireland play, does the tax thing come into play? Does that play over there? I mean, it's it's definitely uh, one of the things that Ireland's known for, you know, in, mm. in the startup community, the you know the double Irish, as it's called, right, and, mm. and how these multinationals move move their their funds around uh, to try and avoid uh, and tax I mean, avoidance. What tax relevance
0: <laughs> does that have to startup? How does how does that go down? Um,
1: I mean, from a for, in, in my opinion, I mean, from a U.S. citizen like tax base perspective, I think there there's a little bit of frustration in in the sense that. Um, that money could be coming back into infrastructure or social programs mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, you know, the, the US is, is obviously very capitalist in nature and so, so there's kind of a like, well, you know, we the system is set up that way, so it, it operates that way. But mm-hmm. there's also, you know, uh, massive inequality that, you know, I, I think there's a, a, a turning point that's going on in startups where people are like, okay, just because we have the ability to use this leverage to have super growth, like, can we do that consciously? And I think TechStars is really trying to uh, build a consciousness around that. You know, a lot of our work right now is around sustainability. Our new CEO, uh, Mayel Gavey, uh, is is her book is called "Trampled by Unicorns," and it's all about empathy in, in the technology industry and and how we can use technology uh, and high growth startups for good. Um, and you know, I, I is, just feel like the a consciousness kind of a, is changing. A, a natural tension there
0: between. Um, empathy and, you know, business for good, which is sometimes something we hear from corporate PR uh, departments and the other narrative of hustling, of bootstrapping, of trying to get ahead, trying to scrape your way into a viable product, a minimum viable product. I mean, I would have thought that for startups, particularly at early stage, it's more the latter than the former they're really thinking of, right?
1: (sighs) Yeah, I I mean, I think this really comes down to what we're trying to do in ecosystem development. David Cohen, uh, you know, one of our founders, has a a quote about how uh, talent is evenly distributed around, distributed around the world, but opportunity is not, Hmm. right? And so I think that has been a a basis for our thinking for a long time. I mean, TechStars doesn't even have uh, an accelerator in the Valley, um, you know, which is obviously a big. Chunk of the market that we're missing the opportunity of, but our our mindset has always been to go into the regional centers that aren't as uh, overcrowded and, and try and lift startups and communities there. So, uh, you know, to get back to the empathy point, uh, I think you can do both. I mean, it, the mm. the interesting thing is if you look at the development of tech startups over the last. 15, 20 years, you know, you used to have to purchase all this infrastructure and, and all this. And now with AWS, you know, that's easier. And there's all these abstraction well, layers. Well, it's easier that for everybody, though.
0: I mean, it's right. not it's not like, you know, you or I have an advantage now if we start something next
1: month, because everybody has that advantage. Right. But I think it allows you to be more deliberate in in how you build your company, right? Because there's more than one way to do it now because of those building on top of those abstraction layers gives you the freedom, you know, to find, the capital that aligns with your vision and and that didn't exist before i mean there's been an explosion of vc as well mm-hmm. and and that also puts it more of a buyer's market for the founder is, is that you can at least find the VCs that say the right things, you know, and right. over the course of your relationship, you'll see if they do the right things.
0: I'm not sure if you've noticed this over there, but certainly this side of the Atlantic, we've noticed that when it comes to VC, there is a little bit of drying up when it comes to very early seed money. And there's an awful lot of capital available for later stage companies, Series C, D, E, uh, rounds, um, companies that have been around for 8, 10,
1: 12 years. Are you seeing that in the States? Yeah. Um, I just think it's moving. I've mm-hmm. actually seen a lot of, you know, even pre-seed rounds, seed rounds, like the the big companies that are the big VCs that used to not really play in those rounds are now trying to get into those rounds so they can maintain their pro rata later. Uh, I also just think it's a shift in the marketplace. In, in the US, we have the um, equity crowdfunding has just, you know, been kind of the regulations around it have changed. I mean, why Combinator just uh, put all of their stuff on WeFunder. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have things like AngelList that have, made that capital uh, more available. And Mm. I think that's going to be a global phenomenon. Actually, coming out of COVID, uh, I think there's a benefit globally to people who never used to invest outside of the region are now much more comfortable doing that because they've been managing companies remotely for a year and making investments uh, remotely for a year. And so I think over the next four or five years, you're going to see you can be wherever you want to be, mm. um, you know, and if you're best of breed in what you're doing and you're, and you're vertical, then you'll be able to access that global capital. Yeah.
0: How important is that geographical factor? It's something that we've written about this side of the Atlantic ad infinitum. And like one of the narratives that comes up whenever we talk about Stripe and its origins and how it got on and how it's doing now is there's always this perennial question of could they have done it had they stayed in Ireland? The The broad consensus is no for a number of reasons, mainly because they wouldn't have had direct access to the funding, to the talent. Um, it's just a scale issue, uh, really. But you do hear people talk about a changing landscape now that geography isn't as important. I'm not not—I'm still not kind of as convinced of that. There still seems to me to be something uh, particular about being in a city or in a valley or in a state or even in a country that can give you an edge if you're trying to do something, is, would you agree or is, is geography I, I think it's apart? a hurdle,
1: but but everything in startups is is a hurdle. Uh, you know, I can point directly back to Buffalo. So, mm. you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was sitting in coffee shops with the community leaders here and there weren't any startups, right? There was, there was one venture-backed company that was about to IPO called Cinecore. And we were just talking about Facebook and Twitter. And then finally, after enough of those coffee meetings, Most of us became founders because we're like, no one's coming to save us. We're just going to figure it out. And fast forward to a week ago, Buffalo's first unicorn IPO occurred. A company called ACV um, that is a used car auction app, uh, you know, ended up with a valuation around $4 billion. So, you know, 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah, you got to be in the Valley. But Mm. I mean, the proof, the proof points right there. I mean, Buffalo is uh, a million people if you count the metro area. Right. You know, and we're able to have a an active startup community that's somewhere between 2,000 and 5,000 people after the the work that you know we did over the last few years with EcoDev. um, and and I think that really it's really about the number of connections, the density of connections mm. in your community, because in a global marketplace, all of those individual connections have relationships outside of the area that are strong and personal, and they can make that bridge for you.
0: Mm, that's interesting. I mean, we we were chatting before. We went live here on the podcast and you were pointing out that Buffalo is considered to be one of the Rust Belt areas. I'm It's an area of the states I'm fairly familiar with. Um, a lot of family in Chicago. I know uh, states like uh, Wisconsin and Iowa reasonably well, Michigan too. And what was it do you think in Buffalo or around Buffalo that proved to be a spark between the time that you and your associates were sitting around coffee shops talking about Facebook and Twitter to the time when you're seeing a local company uh, IPO for, for, with a uh, 4 billion dollar uh, valuation.
1: Uh I think it was a lot of work by a lot of different people who just wanted to make it happen in the community. Um you know I mean, But I mean a lot of communities have yeah. that. I mean
0: like yeah, was, it, yeah. was it was it was there any regulatory issue? Was there any financing issue? Was there an education issue? Was there any tweaking in the way that um, VCs, for example, were able to access institutional funds. Anything like that.
1: Uh, there's a couple of things I could point to. So, you know, one of the questions I get asked sometimes is, you were a community organizer in Buffalo for ten years before you came on and did the ecosystem development engagement in Buffalo, right? Because we hire local founders to build the community that they already know and love. Mm. Um, and, and, and so I'll get to ask the question, like in that 10 years working 10% time as a volunteer or in the one year working full-time or 18 months working full-time, like what made a bigger difference? And by and far, like orders of magnitude more powerful to be full-time. In, in, in most communities, and I'm not taking credit for the success of ACV by any means, but I, I think in most communities, you'll have a lot of infrastructure and support that's built by state governments. Maybe it's a little bit bureaucratic, but, you know, and it ends up starting to believe that it is the startup community when really mm. the startup community is anyone who considers themselves part of the startup community. And that messaging is very important. And so to have someone who isn't aligned and isn't a gatekeeper for money, just there connecting people all the time, integrating and creating density in that network and finding all the people that believe the right cultural things for a successful startup community, Mm. that bends. Now on the ACV specific, like how did we get a unicorn? You know, there was a, uh, one of the members of our startup community was a, a VC out of New York. Right. And so he made some introductions and they were able to get their first round together. And then, you know, from that, uh, at at some point, Bessemer Ventures got involved. And then, you know, as this goes on, what you see is because ACV did well, Bessemer made another investment in a a company called Tackle. And then Tackle's founder introduced them to another company in Rochester called uh, Blackbird. Right. And so now we have three Bessemer. Uh, investments in a second or third tier city because once you're on the map, you're on the map, mm. you know, and tackle their series B round that they just raised was led by Andreessen Horowitz. Right. So, so now we have a 16 Z and Bessemer on cap tables in our Western New York regional service. And that's in, where yeah. the, yeah. And that's the, the density of connections thing, right? Mm. Because you only need one person that has that relationship with that VC to make the warm intro, but to find them without everyone being tightly Connected is very hard, right? Like you, you'll you miss out on those opportunities.
0: It's really interesting because in Midwest, you're not quite the Midwest, but in Midwest and in Rust Belt Midwest, there is constantly this feeling of existential uh, despair. What's going to become of us? What's our future economy? What should we focus on? How much of it should be state led? Where should we live? What kind of, what should we do with taxes? But you, what you're saying is really, that a lot of those things are secondary. You just gotta dive into something.
1: Yeah. And you and you just you have to build community. You have to build an open and inclusive community where the founders are driving it, where the founders have a 20-year vision. Cause you think about like any state government anywhere in the world, they never can hold true to a 20-year vision because of election cycles, because mm-hmm. of, you know, taxes going up and down and 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 budget balancing. You know, and I think inclusion and diversity is also, I mean, these are the bolder thesis, like you know, columns, if you read Brad Feld's original book, Startup Communities, you know, diversity of ideas. And because oftentimes, like you look at, again, I'll I'll point back to ACV, um, it was the founder was a used car salesman, right? And so he faced this problem of going to auctions day in, day out and was like, this sucks, right? Like, what if I applied this technology layer to it? And and so that's what I mean by diversity is diversity of ideas and backgrounds. And Mm. then I think the last thing is you need this continual engagement where you activate the community um, routinely through joint events, shared events that have angels and university representatives and founders and anyone who wants to work at a startup all in the same room. Uh, that's that's how you're able to start to really get lift for the community is just by connecting everyone. Mm. I'm
0: wondering, are there any lessons for us here in Ireland uh, that we can take from what you experienced in Buffalo or any of the other cities that you may have seen uh, in traveling around? um in terms of what what people should do um what what we should be looking for what we should be striving uh, towards <laughs> that's a real back of the envelope question now but is there any, anything come to mind
1: the thing that i see again and again when we i mean our customers for the most part are are, are state actors right or hmm. or nonprofits that are funded by state actors and uh, you know, th- they're what make our engagement possible, but it's always a very nuanced relationship with the customer because it's you know oftentimes like they're very well intentioned, but they don't realize that by kind of running things or you know being the gatekeeper for funds, they're actually stifling the overall throughput of their community because uh, everyone heads that direction instead of finding multipathing to success. Mm. And so and so that's probably something that if you were to look around, and see what are the actors and who are like the economic development folks, those initiatives, um, oftentimes become KPI focused on their success as, and, and they lose sight. They don't see the forest from the trees of like what, what they're engaging in and that inhibits collaboration in a meaningful mm. way. And, and so, so almost any startup community, I could say like that's where you can start is, is trying to build the relationships in a more uh, communal sense across the entire city or the entire region and stop focusing on individual actors winning. So if you were the mayor of Buffalo, or the governor
0: of yeah. New York State, or one of the two senators uh, for uh, for New York. Um,
1: is there anything that you would do? Well, in I, New York, I, I, we, I'm about we have we have very very um, heavy tax burdens, you know, and I think that 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 encourages a lot of companies to to leave, you know, including startups. Mm. And so I would go? try and anywhere oh, right? okay <laughs> um, i mean i mean we're like one of the most heavily taxed uh, regions in the in the U- in the us but they um, you know like i have a startup that i'm working with right now that's considering moving to nashville right and they're buffalo mm. born and they're like a success story in buffalo and so it's trying to retain them when you know they know that they could get 30% more out of their dollars going somewhere else now i don't know that that's actually true because we have a pretty low cost of living beyond the taxes in buffalo so it's always a balance Um, You know, and it's obviously not just dollars, it's access to the human capital here. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a very strong engineering program. So I think every community is different. Um, If I had a magic wand, though, I mean, what I would really uh, focus on is encouraging the wider culture to embrace entrepreneurship and be... um, Accepting of resiliency from failure, right? Like a lot of people don't start their their startup because they're afraid of failing. And mm. if we have that cultural change, you're gonna have a lot more innovation. And I think the the second thing that is really this is, you know, the U.S. is just kind of goofy with this. Is like tying um, health insurance and healthcare to your employment just deads deadens entrepreneurship and and founding because people even if they have the risk tolerance to lose their money. They are afraid they're going to get hit by a bus, and you know they're going to bankrupt their family, and so so that really stifles innovation locally.
0: Mm, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned Tennessee there, Nashville, and mm-hmm. it, it we see over here an awful lot of stories about the U.S. big companies moving to Texas, or I mean, okay, Austin is an established base and has been for th- thirty years, but you know, other places in the South as well. Is is there a general? kind of drift south among some tech companies in the states.
1: I think it's actually a drift towards deregulation. Ah. You know, a, a, you know Boston, New York, mm. San Francisco all very heavily regulated areas and mm. um to the point where people feel like there's almost like social constraints and social controls. And I I think a lot of the innovators and the founders are more like kind of freewheeling, you know, Mm. and libertarian in mindset. And so I think that's where you're seeing the drift.
0: But doesn't that go back to the the first point, literally, that you raised about empathy? And where's the balance between, say, empathy with one's fellow citizens? And where does the position of regulation and higher taxes, for example, play a part there versus no sorry um what's mine is mine or or I need to thrive in an environment where I don't have to contribute quite a, as much um and and how does that play back into the whole point about empathy do you think it's
1: it's a very interesting balance and I think it's a it's an individual by individual like discourse because you know, if you talk to the very uh, libertarian idealistic founders, they're saying, Hey, I am improving society on a whole, mm. you know, through my actions, right? There's this whole Ayn Rand like, you know, mindset. Um, you know, personally, like I don't really fall that way. Like I believe in in social safety nets. And, you know, I, I look at I actually look at venture capital as a way for a lower class or middle class individual. Uh, anywhere in the world to break out right and to be, to escape their class and move up i mean you know i i have was on public assistance during part of my life you know and and i've gone on to raise millions of dollars in capital and sell millions of dollars in product and and that's not a you know unique story to me there's lots of founders who have done that and so specifically in the us i think it's like one of the pathways to mm. economic freedom
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know,
1: but it's a balance.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I, I take your point. Uh, broadly, I think most people would agree. There is a, a counter view that if you go and interview a lot of VC types, I, I've done it before in San Francisco and San Jose. And there's a weird uniform. There's a clothes uniform they all wear. At one point, it was just these sleeveless kind of gilets, you know? Yep. And, and I remember one of them was telling me, no, we're kind of casual here. We don't wear suits. Actually, mate, you are wearing a suit. You're wearing a kind of a sleeveless gilet <laughs> yeah. um, and the same, yeah. the same yeah. jeans. <laughs> but, um, and, and, and a cynic would say a lot of them are educated in the same place, part of the same networks, mm-hmm. maybe part, part of the same clubs. But you'll always have that, I suppose, in... In any walk of life, let me ask you about tech stars. Um, I had a look through yeah. your three week, three month uh, program, and month one is quite uh, a mouthful: product development, market fit, marketing, technology, hiring and firing, fundraising, company culture, unit economics, business development, customer discovery, go to market strategy, and legal. It's an awful yeah. lot in a month. Wh- which of those is the trickiest? <sighs>
1: So, so there's just for clarity for your audience. There's there's TechStars, the accelerator, and then there's ecosystem development, which you know um, I'm I'm the product manager for. So, so I believe you're talking about the accelerator program, which is a three month program. Yeah, and I, I think the the biggest challenge there that founders see is like we call it um, actually mentor whiplash. It's not the material that you're going through; it's the fact that we put you through the ringer with like 50 or 100 different mentors Mm -hmm. over that time period. And so you're just meeting all these people. They're all giving you the best advice they can based on their experience. And it contradicts it, you know, like they contradict each other constantly. And so you have to find your own truth based on your knowledge of the the network. That must be Um, one of the most
0: difficult things. I mean, Mm -hmm. it must be one of the most difficult things. If you're young, you're, you know, you don't have an awful lot of experience. You've got a lot of energy. You are very bright You've got some really good ideas and all of these are on show and they're plain for anybody to see, but then you have to start making decisions pretty quickly, right?
1: Yeah. And I, I think the, the challenge that all founders face is, you know, you're, you're so constrained by your resources, hmm. you know, and, and so every bet you make, like when I think about funding, I don't think about it in the sense of, um, you know, how many people I can hire. It's like, how many times can I make the wrong bet and still the company still survives? Mm. Right. And so, so you're always thinking about like, do I go left or do I go right? <laughs> you know, and how many times do I get to do the wrong thing and, and still be able to, to maneuver? And, and I think that's where the mentorship really comes in. I mean, Techstars, our entire accelerator program is about mentorship. Mm. Like we're going to expose you to all the ideas and kind of teach you the meta game of VC. Mm. You know, how do you go raise? How do you grow properly? You know, how do you manage co-founder relationships? Because those are the major failure modes. Um, but the the value that if you talk to anyone who's been through the accelerator, they're like my lead mentor, the mentors, the network, the connections that they made, like that's what shifted it for me. Mm-hmm. And that's really the core value of of the offering is like, and, and I think that's where the trust symbol of Techstars comes for when you go on to raise your initial capital coming out of the accelerator is people know that you've kind of been through this ringer. Not only were you selected out of like the giant pool of people who applied, but you made it through the program. <laughs> and so, so you know, at the stage that Techstars um, investors invest, you know, in our uh, after our programs, like you're really still betting on the founders more than anything because mm. the business model is barely proven at all.
0: There's a myth over demo days, Uh, we paired a lot with Y Combinator. There's books written about it. There's movies, some movies, um, made um, about them. Have you ever been to one of those?
1: Yeah. Uh, demo days are uh, a joyful experience. Right now, it's it's interesting because you know the virtualized version of it is powerful in that you get to see all these great companies. You get to see best in the world pitches, right? By the time mm. they're at a demo day pitch, they're like some of the best early stage p- pitches you'll ever see. But uh, it misses that audience participation, like right. the vibe of being in an auditorium with like 300 people. And you know that if you nail this thing, there's a million dollars on the other side of it like waiting for you, right? That's a lot of pressure as a founder. And so to see people come through that with like aplomb right (laughs) is 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 just an amazing joyful experience because oftentimes you know you've met the founders you've worked with them Mm. and then to see them like in that pinnacle moment where you know it's going to accelerate their company to the next level um that's really exciting does it does the energy
0: or the dynamic change in doing it virtually versus live i mean if you talk to a comedian for example they'll always say that what they really thrive on is being in front of somebody, not only so they can make eye contact, but they can also gauge the reaction, like micro moments. They can make split decisions on their routine, on the speed, timbre, all these things. I wonder, does it make any difference uh, at a demo day?
1: I think that the virtual ones are probably even more honed than the in-person ones are because you can mm. record it as many times as you want and then oh, go they're, with your they're favorite recorded.
0: Pod. They're recorded, they're not, yeah. they're
1: not live. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you don't have to be a professional comedian with like the right timing and balance Mm. and audience read. But even, even in the demo days that I've attended, um, you know, it's an auditorium, right? So you might connect with one person, but you know, it's, it's more that there's just an energy in the room and Mm. there's a, uh, it's, it's like having a warm up act at a show, right? You know, like the people who pitched before you. Um, have already kind of gotten the crowd going and excited. Right. And, and it's like, can you ride that energy and keep mm-hmm. it going for you? Or, and, and like, and shape it into excitement around your business.
0: Mm-hmm. Even as a journalist, uh, I sit in front of dozens of uh, presentations, webinars, a lot of product stuff as well. Not so much from startups, it's actually more from the big guns, new iPhone, new Samsung, what, whatever it is. And there is a qualitative difference between the premium tier A marks. Apple has it nailed, absolutely nailed. I never thought that they'd be able to quite replicate the production values they have when you go out to Cupertino, but my Mm -hmm. God, they have it nailed. And then you sort of go way down at the the other end. You will have, say, a niche gaming handset, and it'll be from, say, a Chinese uh, or Taiwanese firm. And it's basically just a Zoom call that's dropping in and out. You know, yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> but and and it it does make a difference. It makes a difference to your level to your reaction, even to the base level of whether I would buy this, whether I would actually, whether I'm willing right now to hand money over for more of what you're telling me, and more of what you're selling me. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, so I I, I don't well, know whether whether any of that relates to startup. World. I think it
1: goes back, Adrian, to where we started the conversation where we were complimenting each other on our, our, our Zoom setups. Yeah. And you know, in my mind, investing in the DSLR and the microphone right now is the equivalent of buying a very expensive suit. Mm. And what it shows is respect for the audience, right? Like for their time, like you're willing to invest in your production value and quality. And I think that holds for all founders, mm. right? It's worth uh, making that investment because you want to look if it gives you a 10% competitive edge over your peer, like it's worth it. It's worth that investment.
0: Yeah, and as I was um, saying to you, I'm always telling people, do this, do that, do that. We had an entire podcast on this two weeks ago, and I'm always secretly glad if they don't because it, it, <laughs> it leaves you with a, a bit of an edge, or in theory anyway. I don't know if it does um, in practice. Um, look, uh, Clark, thanks a million for for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. There's a lot more I could ask you about. Really interesting. There's an awful lot... Um, that you know our two ecosystems I think probably have in common but I'm sure we could learn uh, an awful lot from you. I hope you'll you'll make it over sometime soon to to Dublin. I uh, would love to host you over here at some point. And uh yeah, hope you're uh, you, you don't get too severe weather now the next few weeks.
1: <laughs> well, thank you Adrian. Yeah, it was a pleasure coming on and uh you know, would love to have the opportunity to, to work more in the uh, just Ireland in general. We'll definitely be going on, on somewhat of a world tour coming up as, as soon as COVID restrictions allow. So hopefully we'll get the chance to speak again. Thank you. And thank you to your audience.
0: And that was Clark Dever, Senior Product Manager at Techstars. And that's all we have time for this week. So for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. I'll talk to you the same time next week. Bye-bye.